welcome to the MAD Podcast. This is the place where successful business investors and entrepreneurs share their case studies of mergers, acquisitions, and deals. Please welcome your host, business investor, Sean Toole. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the MAD Podcast. We're talking mergers, acquisitions, and deals. And today we have successful entrepreneur, James Sinclair. Hello, James. Hello. Thanks for having me on, Sean. Really good to talk to you on the MAD Podcast. (laughs) Well, we're glad to have you here, and uh, we're looking forward to hearing your uh, case studies. So would you like to, uh, for, for those who've never heard of you, uh, they've probably been hiding under a rock, James, they've never heard of you. Please, can you share a little bit about who you are, what you do, please? Yeah, so I'm James Sinclair. I'm an entrepreneur here in the UK. Um, I own a number of family brands. Our business is all around building brands that families love. So we own a chain of day nurseries, chain of indoor play centres, um, uh, couple of outdoor attractions marsh farm and lee valley zoo um, and we just bought um, a 90 year old ice cream company the rossi ice cream company uh, we've got about 600 staff um yeah um, and we've been going now 15 years and we like to acquire businesses all the time uh, we see growing through um, acquisition is a really good way of doing it and doing it as a frugally way uh, in the most frugal way possible literally using hardly any cash to acquire the business but then using the cash flow to continually improve the business thus building a business that has strong um ebitda um that could get multiples for if you want to sell it although we have no real intention to sell our business although we get multiple offers now um I'm, i suppose the big fun fact about me is i started my life off as a kid's entertainer as a magician um, i'm 35 raring to go Fantastic, and uh, yeah, I I, uh, I came across you uh, on YouTube and uh, talking about uh, your 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 business and how you operate. And uh, I've been listening to a few of your business broadcast uh, podcasts as well. Very interesting. You're you're inter- interviewing uh, entrepreneurs who are talking about and, and helping them to grow uh, and scale their business. So. Uh, fascinating stuff. I really, really enjoy that. Um, so, so let's talk about the case study then. Uh, this ice cream business that you're you're buying. Uh, in fact, you, you're at the location now, are you? Yeah. So we, we bought uh, the Rossi Ice Cream Company last Thursday. Yeah, I'm at the factory right now where we make all the ice cream, um, and then I'll be diving through to Marsh Farm Animal Adventure Park, which is our head office, to um, have a catch-up team there with the. Uh, on marketing with the team there. Um, I suppose spend most of my time on getting and keeping customers. And that's what I'm doing with this ice cream company. We've got a really good product. Um, we're 90 years old. And um, the main focus to turn this business around is literally going out there and getting more customers. And that's what we're focusing on. We're getting in the sales, then we put the operations in. And I suppose what a lot of businesses end up doing um, especially ones that you can acquire for little or no money is the focus has been on all the operations and the sales have just dropped off um, and when businesses start it's all about the sales you know they focus on the sales because that's what gets the world of business going and then the business owners move into the operational role and forget about getting and keeping customers and that's where I spend most of my time doing and I think if people do that they'll be able to grow a business really well but you've got to look for those deals where that you can merge 
acquire and do deals with um, to fold into your existing empire. So we, what we do is we create multiple revenue streams that fold into existing empire and make sure that leverage, whether it's leveraging our database, leveraging our knowledge, leveraging our financial relationships, leveraging our know-how to build a business and do it quite quickly. So, so James, can I ask you, how did this business come onto your radar? How, how did you find out about it? And, and how did you structure a deal moving forward if it's not, if it's not too uh, confidential? No, no, I don't mind talking about it. I mean, look, I'm always on the hunt to find businesses where the business owner has given up, quite frankly. Um, so, and you can see this, you know, Rossi's a great business and the business owner hadn't given up. Um, but we were trying to buy ice cream from them for our farm shop and we just couldn't get the stock. And I thought, hmm, there's some issues here. Why can't I get the stock? And then I just approached them and said, can I buy it off of you? And it took a year to structure the deal. These things take a lot longer when you're trying to do things creatively by putting as minimal cash down as possible. And so I, um, I used vendor finance on this particular deal. They had a number they wanted for the business. I gave them a hundred thousand pound deposit and then paid the rest over four years. Um, and that's how I've structured this deal. But I've done other deals where I've done reverse premiums where people have actually paid me money to take over their business. And I've done deals where I've bought them from liquidation, administration, insolvency practitioners, landlords. Uh, there's been a cocktail of things. But this one um, was actually the most I've ever paid for a single business. Um, and it was loss making. It was barely breaking even. But I could just see that, that, that there was so much opportunity. I mean, in London, Essex, Hertfordshire, Kent, uh, Suffolk, um, the Rossi Ice Cream Company is so well known because it's 90 years old. Um, I just knew that we'll be able to do something with it. Um, I knew that we'd be able to take it to the next level. And very quickly, um, we've managed to sign up more customers um, and get the product out there. Um, and um, that's exciting. Yeah, I think if, if, if it's 90 years old, they've got this... Uh it's kind of history pedigree but but most of the brand the brand must have been as you said well known and uh, that's yeah. what you're buying yeah i mean i, I suppose that and that's what i've bought here you know and I, and I think we've seen the evidence of that we've rang up people that we would like so farm shops and independents and said hey can we stock our product they use that just takes so much time to convince someone but they all want to see you because of this 90 year old heritage i mean you know my granddad loved it his grandparents love it and their grandparents before them you know that that's really powerful um, and there's good margins in this business um, and we want to open up our own parlors um again, yeah we've got some parlors that we supply that are branded rossi but we want to open up our own parlors again um We've even spoken to other massive brands that want to work with us, um, big, you know, supermarket shelf brands that want to partner with Rossi. So really exciting, great opportunities. And I can see how we can sort of quadruple the size of this business in a shake under three years. Sounds great. It sounds really good. And they've got multiple flavors. So you must have tested a few, have you? Just, just yeah. a sample? Just I'm, to... I'm a massive fan of it. So it's probably the most, it's, it's my... You know, you know, I think great entrepreneurs, if you're passionate about something, you're going to have loads of resilience to grow the business. I'm passionate about Rossi. I'm passionate about all of our brands. And the ones that have always been more profitable is where the passion for me, where my passion lies. You know, I am also passionate about real estate, but not as much as 
um, family brands. And, you know, I do real estate to help my businesses grow the security that I have in property to be able to leverage that security to grow the business further. My only concern with this business, if I had one, uh, and I, I don't know retail, uh, is, is, is it a seasonal product ice cream, would you say? Yeah, absolutely it is but you know theatres cinemas fire and indoor play centers and bowling alleys and we're the biggest indoor play center operator in the uk we buy more ice cream in the winter um and then but having our own parlors and dessert parlors um in shopping centers with our plan to do that they'll take more money in the winter so yeah we've got a game here of leveling out our cash flow um for us, we own a big chain of day nurseries, big chain of indoor play centres and outdoor attractions. You know, we was a business that seven years ago made all of its money in the winter and had disastrous cash flow problems in the summer because we're an indoor business. And now we've got these this ecosystem, if you like, where it works together. Our cash flow is pretty even over the month over the months. You kind of balanced it out, having that outdoor and indoor. So outdoor, uh, I mean, the, the ice cream sales must go crazy in the summer. And uh, they do, but they do well in indoor attractions in the yeah. winter as well. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. So uh, I know you've bought multiple businesses over the years. So so could you share with us uh, another one or two uh, case studies? Yeah. So um, uh, let's talk about Party Man World in Ipswich. Um, I bought this business, loss-making business. Um, I knew that I just needed to create another revenue stream. It was an indoor play center, so I built a day nursery on the side. And the owner of this business was going to close the business down. I said, well, how much are you going to cost you to close the business down in redundancies, getting out of the lease? He said, about £150,000. I said, well, look, pay the rent for me for three months and give me £50,000 up front. And I'll take the business off your hands. I then went to the landlord of that business, said, can I buy the building off of you? He wanted a million pounds for it. We agreed 900,000 because I was in a lease for the next seven years. So he couldn't wriggle out of that lease and therefore the value of it was probably best to sell it to me. I bought it off him for 900,000. Savills revalued it six months later with us in there on a new lease that we created at 1.8 million pounds. We built the day nursery there. That business will probably make quarter million of EBITDA this year um, so that's a reverse premium deal where someone pays you to take over the business because it costs them more to close the business down um, and those deals are happening all the time by the way um, I love teaching those strategies in my entrepreneurs university um, because that's really how you can accelerate wealth but if you look at what I do is I don't what a lot of people do is they they look for all industries and all types I've get to get these deals come towards me because i'm in that sector i'm in the family entertainment sector so i don't look at oh what's going on in m a and i don't know um in, in retail because you know i can just ignore all that stuff because that's not my bag so it's really important that you get to understand a sector and get into the sector um, and get known in that sector so that these deals come towards you like a big fat magnet. Um, and, and that's what's happened to me. People call me all the time. And uh, is that something you'd recommend to entrepreneurs getting started that, that they that they niche down and or, or just absolutely. become known? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, I do think you should niche down. There's riches and niches all the time. I mean, if you think about Amazon, they started selling books in 1994. It's taken them a couple of decades to sell everything. And so when you really understand a sector and you really get powerful in a niche, that's how you can build real 
real presence and people get you get known as the expert and experts attract opportunities yeah it's a bit like the doctor who earns you know i don't know x amount of, of money and then you've got the surgeon who's a specialist in, in heart surgery, say, who's uh, yeah so, so so i get the point um, yeah, so, so i would i mean and what you can use you can use arbitrage then like, you know if you was going to just buy day nurseries for example and you really understood that sector you could then get really well known in the day nursery sector and know all the ins and outs of that particular niche just buy up buy up buy up and build a group that you can then go and sell for a strong multiple you could do it in the dentist sector you could go and buy dentist practices and buy them up and build 10 dentist practices but if you've got a dentist practice a fish and chip shop a butcher's a hotel um, an insurance brokerage you know how, how can you build up that volume of you know being able to sell it to a private equity firm because they don't want to buy 15 different businesses that's right yeah if you're a specialist in one at one sector and it's a fragmented market you could essentially acquire those businesses all of a similar type and as you said sell for multiples of net profit so it's a great strategy just going back to your example um which i thought was really interesting because uh, you had the property uh, element to it yeah. and uh you were focused on buying businesses uh, you don't go for leasehold then you want to go for freehold you want to well, no it's not it's not always possible you know yeah obviously i want to own land and brand wherever possible but you know i'm in lakeside shopping center I'm never going to own a slice of lakeside shopping center because i'm not a pension fund um i'm also in multiple other places where I know it makes logical sense for our business to have a location there that we'll never be able to own. But with the, with Rossi Ice Cream, um, I know the landlord is prepared to have a conversation about us buying the factory off of them. So it's leasehold at the moment, similar to the Ipswich deal, where I know that there is a conversation where we could end up owning it. That becomes more attractive for us to buy a business. Why do I want to own the freeholds? Well, I never have to have the conversation. Um, three reasons number one i never have to have a conversation about rent going up we as owners can decide if the rent goes up number two i never have to worry about dilapidations bills that's when you exit a commercial property you have to return the property back to the way that you found it i've just received a four hundred fifty thousand pound bill for one of our leasehold properties um um and there's a third reason oh yeah if the landlord decides that he doesn't want you trading from that business anymore because he wants to do something with it knock it down turn it into houses i don't know or change the use on it to get a higher yield at the end of the lease you have no protection um unless you're in the act uh, which is you know i'm not going to go into that here now but you, in most cases you're out of what they call the act so the landlord at the end of the term can take the building off of you now i've had that happen to me this year i've had the building taken back from me landed a four hundred and fifty thousand pounds dilapidations and that building made us about a quarter of a million pounds of contribution a year so not only have we lost the building but we've lost the contribution because we didn't own it now other people will turn around and say to me but hey james if you go and buy the buildings you're tying up all of that capital into that building and so this is what we call cost of capital deployed so you could go and buy a million pound building 
you know, say you was not using borrowed money here, but even if you was using borrowed money, the bank could say to you, well, we've lent you a million pounds and buy the building. We now can't lend you a million pounds to go and invest in the business. You have it both ways. You have to wait to pay some of that million pounds down. And that's what we call cost of capital deployed. But for me, it's the security of knowing that that building can never be taken away from you. It's great for pension planning and it's good for the long-term security of the business. And commercial property, in my opinion, um, it's just a great place to be in terms of strength. And once you've owned them for five years, the equity really goes up because you're paying down the capital on a yearly basis through the mortgage. And the capital goes up and then you've got all this security that you can really start investing into your own business. Now, the bit that I want to come back to, and this is really crucial that you mentioned because uh, it can really uh, add a lot of value, is that once you buy a freehold commercial building, um, and I've got uh, my background is in property, so, so I'm aware of it. Uh, but you said, and if you could just explain this bit, you had it revalued, and uh, my understanding is it's based on the uh, the rental that you get from uh, that business, and that is essentially the rental in this example. Well, what you're paying yourself, me- right? Slightly. What happened there is we've got marriage rights because the trading business and us as a business own that. So we own the property and the trading business. We've got the marriage rights. So you would say, well, that building's worth a million quid and the business is worth half a million pounds, for example. Actually, when you bolt them together, they can be worth more in some circumstances. For example, with a day nursery. Day nurseries are really easy to get multiples on. Um, I don't, there's other sectors um, that I can't think of right now. Uh, like a dentist surgery would be another one where it's really easy to work out the multiples. So we got 1.8 million based on the brick and mortar valuation by having it to be D1 and D2. So D1 for the day nursery, D2. So we've increased the value of the building going from warehousing because you can get higher yields on rentals for a day nursery than warehousing. Um, but as a trading business, Savile's valued it at 2.8 million because we was in there with our covenant of building a profitable day nursery. So the trading value is 2.8 million, the bricks and mortar value of 1.8. Sorry about the phone there. Um, I'm hoping that goes away. There we go, it's gone. Um, it's a real working environment here. Yeah, it's a real working um, office, James. Um, um, yes, yeah, so, so what we did in that situation was increase the value of the trading um, what the business is worth with a with a freehold owned in it because it's only valued at so much if you've only got a five-year lease 10-year lease when you've got a freehold that you could trade for the next 50 100 years the value also increases there and the bank when you are an owner-managed business, they will look at the trading valuation, not just the bricks and mortar, like the fire sale value, if you like. Um, so I bank privately um, for a private bank in London, and they will look at the trading value, not just the bricks and mortar value for lending purposes. That's really where it gets really fun. Yeah, it's the combination of the two that's really powerful, eh? Yeah. Okay. Um, so do you have one more case study that you'd like to share with us? Yeah, and another one, our Oxford site, um, uh, the landlord had that. Um, it came to me, they went bust. Um, What's uh, another family entertainment centre. Yep. Uh, this is good when you understand, when a sector knows you, this is when the deals come to you. So, so yeah, look, um, 
we've got a site here. Would you like to rent it out off of us? And they, I said, Here's, we've only been prepared to pay 80,000 rent for it. They said, well, this other person is prepared to pay 120. I said, well, rent it to them. And when it goes wrong, because it's too much rent, come back to me. Three years later, they came back to me. And they said they did go bust. It wasn't actually three years, like a year and a half. I said, well, I'm prepared to come in now, but the rental stays the same. But this time I'm going to need a year's rent free. And they went, you can't do that. I'll walk away. And they came back to me. They gave me all the equipment. They gave me everything. I had my rent free period. And then um, we built the trading business in there. Um, and that literally is, you know, you, whenever you take on a commercial property, always try and get two years rent free because that really gives you a chance to build the business up. And I will always try and negotiate two years rent free as my standard and then go down to a year if I can't get anything. It shocks me to the end of the core. If you've got a trading business and you don't ask for a long, lengthy, lent free period, how difficult it can be, especially if you're taking a business that's in a, in a difficult situation. Yeah, so you always ask for more than what you think you're going to get. So, so two years would be a, yeah, quite a cheeky offer, I would have thought. Well, it's, it's not a cheeky offer for leisure and when you've got big fit-out costs, but it might be a cheeky offer for when it's uh, industrial. Yeah, but you see, the thing is, the thing is, these landlords, uh, you know, especially if they're pension fund landlords, they value it on the amount of rental you're paying. So they'd much rather give you a longer rent-free that have a higher rent. Um, yeah. I, I try and get a low rent and a rent-free period because I realise actually at years three or four is when all them bills can come in and you have to try and readjust the business. Um, but yeah, so I'm always the lowest possible rent and the longest rent-free period that I can possibly get my hands on. But I've worked with so many people that don't even ask for a rent-free period. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They may not even... Because they don't know it exists. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, or, and, and the reverse payments you were talking about, you know, there's, um, you know, uh, not many people would know about It's not that. a reverse. It's called a reverse premium, that, premium, when sorry. someone pays you to take over the business. But there are other things that you can use the cash that's in the business's bank account to buy a business and buy a business that way. Um, because that, I mean, and that's what I did at Marsh Farm. We had deposits on account that were paid a year and a half in advance. Um, yeah. And we bought all the equipment and stuff that was there using that money. And they gave us money in that way to take the business over because they'd taken a load of prepayments and deposits, which in effect is owed to the business that's coming in so that's another way of putting as little cash in as possible to buy and acquire a business are you using any uh sybils of, of fund, government funding for any of these deals recently or not yeah we borrowed near enough a million quid on that sort of stuff but we just put that in to the cash flow of the group as a whole um uh, just to make sure that we're well funded to see us through this storm yeah fantastic well, fantastic, James. Three amazing uh, case studies. And, uh, you know, I really appreciate you, you sharing um, you sharing those structures yeah. as well. So, so what kind of uh, budding advice would you give to uh, entrepreneurs and budding investors that, that want to buy businesses using very little or none of their own cash? Would, would there something specific, that, you know, when they're starting out? Yeah, choose businesses that have instant cash flow. Um, so, uh, like with Rossi Ice Cream, though we've got problems here that we want to sort out, there's instant sales. Everyday sales are coming in. So, it might not be profitable, but there's instant sales coming into the business so that you've got some cash flow. Um, secondly, try and choose businesses where there's margin. 
um, because if you've got really low margins, it's going to be really difficult. So choose sectors where there's good margin and make sure that... What would you say is a good margin? Well, as high as you possibly can get. You know, lots of people have gross profits and margins of 20, 30%. That means that you've got to scale the business. You've got to be like Lidl, Tesco's, where you've got to sell billions of pounds to make millions of pounds. What you want to do is be in the place where you're getting at least 40% gross profits at the very, very least. And be high mere hut for the 60s, 70s and 80s. Much better to have a business that turns a million quid that has, you know, you know, a 40, 50, 60, 70% gross profit rather than one that turns 10 million that makes 20 to 30. It, you know, you just the stress of having a low margin business is really tough. Um, next, make sure that it's easy to find the management. And next, make sure it's easy to scale the business because the aim of the game is to build a commercially profitable enterprise that works without you in it. That's the aim of the game. Um, and to be able to do that, you've got to make sure you've got something that can scale. What's a scalable business in my mind? This is a business that if you have access to all the money in the world and access to all the best people in the world, that you could build a billion pound business easily. For example, if I told you, right, I can give you all the money in the world, access to all the best people in the world, could you build a billion pound bank easily? And the answer is yes, you can absolutely go and do that if you've got those resources at hand. But there's lots of businesses that are really hard to scale that you just cannot scale because it's just not big enough the audience isn't big enough there isn't a hungry audience there the population isn't big enough and it's a real difficult well, I, I thing so go for businesses that are easy difficult rather than difficult difficult um and so every business has its difficulties and its challenges but there are some that are much easier to build than others so there's some of the personality traits if you like or the businesses that i would be looking at make sure that you're passionate about it make sure when you're passionate you have resilience about it lots of people say i'll oh, just do it for the money i don't you just choose things that are profitable if you have no interest in it i think your passion won't shine through and then you won't build a great team that wants to get behind it and build it into a world-class brand um and, you know, I think if you look at great people like Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, um, Richard Branson, they're all passionate about their brands that gives them bounds of resilience and then attracts these great lieutenants towards them that want to help them grow that vision. Yeah, fantastic. So what's the future of Party Man? What are you... <laughs> we just... We're, you know, we're a 15 million pound business now. I want to get it to sort of a 30 million pound business next. Um... Um, and then see what happens. You know, I, I feel with my brands that um, I never really own them. I'm just looking after them for the next generation. And that's a nice feeling to have. Um, you know, I don't feel I'll ever really own Rossi. I'm just looking after it for the next generation. And I want to make sure that I'm leaving our companies behind in a better place than once I found them um, so that they can be enjoyed not just from a profitable point of view, that families can have great days out, um, enjoy our ice cream, and make some money along the way is a lovely place to be. Fantastic. Well, thanks again, James, for, for being uh, our guest on the Mad Podcast. So how can people get hold of you? If uh, well, uh, there's, where would you my, want to contact you? Well, 
do you want them to well, I, I don't want them to contact me unless they want to send nice things my way. <laughs> um, no, you can check me on my YouTube channel, the James Sinclair YouTube channel, over 500 videos designed to help grow your business. Just plonk in James Sinclair onto YouTube and put a flash of beer by magic. Or you can check me out on my website, jamesinclair.net, and give my Entrepreneurs University a try where I help business owners do all these strategies that I've just spoke about. And you can do that for free at jamesinclair.net for 14 days and then it's only 50 quid a month after that and um, people loving the entrepreneurs university and also my podcast uh, james sinclair's business broadcast where i coach business owners on their challenges in their business to help them get through again you can apply to be on that for free on my website jamesinclair.net fantastic thanks for being an amazing guest and uh i'm gonna taste some of your ice cream and let you know where do you live i live in the uh, city uh to the city of brighton hall so it would go down really well danny i think we have got some customers in brighton and hope have you heard of rossi no i actually haven't i haven't heard of it before unbelievable we've got to we've got to take over brighton get it all <laughs> round brighton oh, well thanks again james appreciate it official take care bye-bye Thank you for listening to the MAD podcast. Feel free to connect with Sean on LinkedIn or search Sean Tool on YouTube to keep up to date with mergers, acquisitions and deals. We'll speak to you soon. Bye for now.